This episode of AVXL is recorded on December 10th, 2019. We're going to talk about Disney Plus, new display news leading up to CES, some help picking out speakers for your surround sound system. But don't forget, ask at AVXL if you've got a question for us. All that and so much more coming up on AVXL episode 105. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And I am excited about Disney+. Plus. I'm a few weeks into it. Um, There was an introductory price for it, wasn't there? I think so. So everyone's getting like a really good deal right now, and then the price is eventually going to go up for everyone. I had the funniest moment because you open up Disney Plus, whatever app, you you know, iOS, Android, and you can download uh, a lot of the stuff on iOS or Android. You can't do that on Windows, which I found a little frustrating. Ooh, I was laughing because for whatever reason, one of the first things I searched for was Tomorrowland. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, a a movie several people enjoyed. I need Um, to know this. Is it here? Can uh, I watch it? Uh, Have you had any issues with their service so far? Like just general usability, being able to log in? No, there was, you know. Lots of hiccups, I'm sure, the first few days. The first couple of days, there was hiccuping I, I and vomiting everywhere. <laughs> to Into meltdown state. Which is perfectly reasonable with the launch of something. Right. In case you forgot, right, it's now Disney. And, of course, they own Pixar. And, of course, they own Marvel. And, of course, they own you know, Lucas uh, films, which is Star Wars. And then there's National Geographic, right? As you're, you're looking at the big row of stuff across the top of the screen. And there's some stuff that they do exclusively for Disney+. And really the only one I cared about was The Mandalorian. The whole family has been enjoyed watching this story of a Mandalorian, a bounty hunter, who looks a lot like but is not Boba Fett. Gotcha. And, uh, related. Related. <laughs> certainly by armor. <laughs> You know, and I was just having one of those weird moments where you forget how much Disney owns content-wise at this point, right? Because none of the Fox stuff is up here. None of the Touchstone stuff is up here. I'm going to type in what does Disney own uh, into Google. I've seen too many of my favorite shows now disappear underneath the umbrella of Disney and or NBC ABC, ESPN, Touchstones Pictures, Marvel, Lucasfilm. They have a 50% act A&E, the History Channel, Lifetime. And then it just goes on and on and right. on. Okay. So, yes. Uh, not the Hulu, NBC, Universal nightmare. I'm not even getting into that yeah. right now. Well, there's a there's a great TitleMax.com has this fantastic map of all oh. of Disney's assets around the world. What website was that? Title Max. I'll send the. I'll put a link into it. Oh my um, goodness! Look yes. at that diagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who owns what and where to get it? <laughs> it's a diagram in the shape of a mouse head. Oh, um, you know, that's funny. You start digging into it; it's utterly terrifying because there's like the parks, the experiences, the consumer products. Pixar, Walt Disney uh, Studios Motion Pictures, which is Touchstone, Disney Studio. They own Lucasfilm, uh, as I mentioned before. You know, there's a Disney Music Group. I don't know if anybody cares about Disney ABC Television Group. And it just kind of goes on and on. Of course, they own ESPN. One of my friends who I respect their technological chops mentioned that they really felt that Disney Plus was doing a better job on the compression than any other service they had looked at it's so far. It's funny you should mention that because I am in the process right now. So a couple of things we first latched onto when we and downloaded This person Disney has like Plus. a perfect internet connection at yeah. home. So it's like whatever max quality you can squeeze out of that particular system apparently looks pretty good. But we do not have a excellent streaming connection. I mean, we can do like five to seven depending on, on okay. where the Airstream is. Um, Decent but, for 1080p. Uh, yeah, and, but what we're doing though was downloading a lot of stuff and what blew my mind is I'm I'm checking like all of my settings in Netflix and Disney Plus and Amazon Prime because I was blown away well I was blown away by the quality of the Disney compression versus Netflix compression. Now, in some of the stuff, the Netflix you know, compression is pretty good. Some of the things that's like awkward is, is for example, the Simpsons are up on Disney+, Plus, which I think may be one of the only Fox things. They are one of the only Fox titles I recognize in Disney+. Plus, But they've cut off, you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. They took the widescreen and reformatted it. Well, no. So, well, they took all the they took all the uh, the early stuff, right? Because stuff that wasn't widescreen, and then tried to just to stretch that to sixteen by nine. They didn't stretch it. They like cut off the top and bottom, and, yeah, and even so there's Great. there's yeah. The, the, if you can't tell, we hate it. Just you know, letterbox it. Or, Not the way the artist intended. No, but I've been amazed at how good the Mandalorian looks. In house content. Yeah. Ready. I'm sure they spent a good 
number of eyeball hours making sure that looked fantastic. Yeah, and as we dig into it, I'm sure we'll find more. I've I've flat out refused a lot of the watching we're doing right now is on tablets, and I flat out refuse to watch any of the Star Wars stuff on a tablet because it needs a big screen because yeah. it's a majestic part of my childhood. Yeah. Uh, I feel you. I like the big screen. I may snap on that. It's been funny, right? Because you start to realize, like, I was like, okay, now I can finally watch all of the Marvel stuff. You know, I can just stop sleeping for a couple of weeks and watch all of the Marvel stuff. But then you realize, for example, none of the Spider-Man movies are up on Disney+. Plus. And the original, the Almost first Hulk everything. movie uh, as, as they came out with Marvel is not up on Disney+. Plus. So that's been, I'll call it amusing, for lack of a better term. Uh, and then there's stuff... Uh, pre-existing agreements for example I mentioned Tomorrowland because it's a movie that fascinates me for reasons I don't know I just wanted to see it again if you don't remember it it's it's basically an, an action film based on Tomorrowland the ride about a boy genius who's played as an adult by George Clooney and he runs into somebody uh, a young woman and they all go to Tomorrowland and uh, uh, frightening yeah <laughs> It's well. It's George Clooney, you know, Hugh Laurie, Britt Robertson. I'm sure Tomorrowland is much different, at least at Disneyland California, than probably the last time I saw it, which we're talking decades. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, it's but it was what anyway. made me laugh. Right? Is like coming soon to Disney Plus. Coming soon. Due to existing agreements, this title will be available on September 1st, 2021. Add oh. your watch list now. So, like, I, oh, you know, please. like an idiot, I added it to my watch list. <laughs> I, I need to take it off my watch list. The countdown. The countdown. But it's up on Amazon Prime, right? So there's oh, okay. some stuff that's up on. Uh, there's they some stuff that's up on there. Netflix. But it was watching uh, the Spider-Man movie from uh, Sony. Into the Spider-Verse. It's a it's a wonderful movie. It's cool. an absolutely spectacular movie. It is great. It is awesome. But it, I, I was looking at the compression on Netflix and being like, okay, I need to make sure I have all of the, the download settings maxed out. Because even on a tablet, there were some moments where I was just like, oh, <laughs> I think not. Really? Um, and so I'm mildly surprised by that because Netflix through their blog posts and their technology postings, they gave a lot of details on the back end of what they were doing yes. to improve upon all that. There's nothing wrong with that, but as an end user, I can still manage to screw up some of the finest technology in the planet no, simply but... by having the wrong box checked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hear you. Oh, okay, for downloads. So, yeah. you, so on downloads, do you get an option of the quality? I, I assume you can. Just I believe, yeah, that's what I'm in the process size, of working out. I don't have... sizes you're dealing yeah, with. Yeah, I don't have so. that tablet in front of me, but it's... And on sort of a, a list of things to do. Uh, a lot of my technological uh, uh, projects have been slowed down by the fact that we had what I was afraid was a, a leak in the Airstream that turned out to be a plumbing leak. But, you know, you never you never like to see your Airstream peeing no. uh, where it's parked. And, and uh, you want the liquids to, you know, remain where they should be and not yes. interfere with your electricity. Yeah, especially some of the liquids, which we don't have. But I was I, there was a moment of terror where I was like, wait, is the roof leaking? Wait, is our my freshwater tank leaking? Wait. Is my gray water tank leaking? And then it turned out there was a plumbing leak in an obscure, distant, hidden part of the Airstream. So oh, no. I apologize for not having thoroughly investigated Netflix compression, <laughs> no, but I, I had to make sure I wasn't issues. turning my you know, the silver Twinkie into Save a the pool. House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing says awkward like having a mobile swimming pool. Disney's still going to be there next week. But yeah, one could hope. One thing at a time. But mentioning tablets, though, yeah. I have an aunt who, for Christmas, I was going to give her an old tablet. Because uh, she doesn't have cable service in her bedroom upstairs. Right. And I was like, oh, you could get that all wired in and done. And, you know, but it's like if you're really just watching Netflix all the time, how about just a tablet? And you can just drag that any, anywhere in the house you want. And I'm, I'm back and forth and between. Way, I don't know. I, I think it's at least I'm going to hook her up with the option. Yes. And it'll be using services she already has. Right. Won't have to pay any additional anything. I watched The Irishman, which was the oh, yeah. the uh, the the new Netflix uh, Martin Scorsese Netflix I saw that pop film, up. and uh, it's long. I'm going to say that right All now. Right. I've I feel I'm going to use feeling words here in the group. Uh, it's safe. You know, it's a safe group. Uh, I feel that that maybe uh, you know they could have cut thirty or forty minutes out of the Irishman. Uh, it's right. three hours and thirty minutes long. Uh, I actually am ashamed to say I, I watched it in a couple of sittings because it's really long. The acting is amazing. The cinematography, of course, is amazing. The scenes, the costumes, you know, as as but sometimes you have parts of a story where it's like you 
you don't it have drags to be a this bit. explicit. Yeah. Uh, it's you like, know. let me fill in the blanks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and save me an hour of my life. <laughs> De Niro's, uh, you know, they, they, they did some magic I can't think of too many three-hour movies where I, I, they're stuck in my head. It's like, oh, that was worth every stupid second, and it shouldn't have been. It should have been longer. Well, at least with the it's movies, like in the 60s, they would put an intermission in, right? Yeah. You know, so if, you, if you're going to watch while, Lawrence of Arabia, have, you know, there's that moment where they understand that the human bladder, after eating your three gallons of popcorn. Passage to India, I think, had an intermission, one. too. If ugh, Not saying watch that movie. Not recommended, but <laughs> there you go. You know. <laughs> the acting is kind of unhinged, right? Because you've got Robert De Niro, you've got Joe Pesci, you've got Al Pacino. Al Pacino's chewing scenery because Al Pacino chews scenery, but he's he's Jimmy Hoffa, so Jimmy Hoffa was you know pretty much a scenery chewer. It's big, larger than life. It's wonderful to watch Joe Pesci, uh, and also really really painful, not because of the acting, but because you watch essentially all of these characters age over the course of like you know. 20 years, give or take, and uh, 20, 30 years. You watch Joe Pesci basically become, you know, I'm, I'm spoilering here. So let me just stop. Let me see. The acting's amazing. Uh, the story's amazing. And just understand that it's, it's, it's real long. That did look beautiful on the tablet. So, I, again, you know, sometimes I feel that different uh, streaming services may favor their own content a little bit on the bandwidth over others. Understood. Experiments to continue, I will report next week. It is a beautiful beautiful film it's a little long but it's uh you know a pretty freaking spectacular piece of work by scorsese cool uh yeah that actually i was i was pretty impressed by that i Uh, tried out google stadia this week yeah and um that's all i'm gonna say about it i just like it's not for me we have several friends who have have deeply invested themselves in, in google stadia i like the concept yeah as far as a online streaming gaming service the thing is i'm not paying full price for a triple a title that I, in the end, I would rather play it on a high-performance PC. Yeah. And granted, I could still do that with their service, but yeah, I, yeah. what really got me is the lack of a killer app. And right. I, I'll end it with this. I don't want to get into this whole thing about gaming discussion suddenly, but I will just say there there isn't a single killer app on it when they have... It should have launched with one. At the very least, something along the lines of a virtual city environment where there literally could be 10,000 other people on the same network using that system, interacting and having, you know, virtual environments that maybe you have some control over. It just seems like it is underdone and not fully baked and it needs to... It needs to come further before I would personally recommend it to somebody who's already like knee deep into either PC gamer or console gaming. Right with the other options out there right now. What I love the, the controller. The controller's really nice. And, what, the, and the service generally works really well. But yeah. also, for, I did a little 4K streaming of gaming. Hits about almost 44 megabit. Whoa. And uh, depending on what your uh, bandwidth requirements are and your what your ISP contract is, just be aware that if you're doing that, you're going to be full blown, through full blown 4K experience with HDR. It, it, I was watching the meter here at the house, and it was ticking off at about 43, 44 megabit at its peak. It's and it, it hits that constantly in 4K when you're moving around. What's crazy about that is that a bunch of the developers uh, have have flat out said that their games were essentially rendered in, in 1080p and are being upscaled upscale. to 4K, 720p being upscaled to 1080p. I, I would say some of it almost looks like that. Um, so it's, well, it's some hard of the developers to make that are on call. record. You know, Google's basically like, watch it for yourself. Tell us how wonderful it is. And people are like, it's a little smeary or it's a little... So, and but what, what came out is is several of the vendors, uh, or the developers, were like, yeah, this is all rendered in uh, the size below what you think you're streaming. That was kind of fascinating to me. And a lot of the reviewers uh, felt that it this is a, a beta you're paying for. Totally. And That's it doesn't really get interesting until next year. We wait. In surprising news, Android TV isn't dead. <laughs> Yay. Well, I was reading an article by Sean Hollister over at The Verge. Essentially, Google's brought Android 10 to Android TV. They brought the accompanying performance and security improvements. Quote, it's about as bland an update as they come, writes Mr. Hollister over at The Verge. There's no user features. Nothing new. 
Nothing new except for uh, the ADT3, which is a little tiny Android TV gadget for developers. XDA developers hinted at some new stuff back in 2020. Uh, coming in 2020, back in September, Google might be producing a Hero device with Stadia, Google Lens, captioning, 8K support. This could be a white-label device for cable companies. This new uh, device is an ADT3 dongle. It's Android TV on a quad-core ARM Cortex A53, 2 gigabytes of DDR3 memory, which means it'll it'll be okay with one or two apps open at a time. If you have lots of things open, switching between them will be kind of emotionally uh, trying. Cause that time. is my biggest complaint with Android TV. Yeah. And if this Reddit post I found this week is to be believed, a person in this post claims that due to a specific MediaTek system on a chip used in some of Sony's latest TVs, there isn't enough performance to bring Android 9, right. let alone Android 10 to some of the flagship TV Sony is currently selling. As you've mentioned, this ARM quad-core Cortex processor, mm -hmm. that sounds like the minimum. Uh, and they're claiming they're able to do 4K 60 HDR content with that chip. That is something I, I guarantee you is more powerful than what is being used in most of the, right. at least in this particular article out of Reddit, they were specifically mentioned in the Sony TVs. It is annoying to me to no end to see that the manufacturers are quick to use lesser performing and mm -hmm. usually cheaper systems on a chip in everything but the very most top tier flagship model. Like that, whatever that one ultra expensive TV is, right. will generally have something pretty equivalent to what would be in your cell phone. However, even within that same series, maybe not even the, the largest size, suddenly it's something that isn't as powerful. According to this article as well, some of Sony's 2018 and 19s are finally going to be updated to Android 9. So <laughs> that includes the Z9F LED, the A9F OLED, the X950G, and the X850G TVs. Right. And that update's also going to bring AirPlay 2, the HomeKit tech, and Dolby Atmos compatibility. Right. And this again just brings me back to I would rather ignore what's in most TVs, especially if it's an Android TV, right. and stick to a good 4K streaming box or stick. Even if you didn't have a 4K TV, I would still recommend a 4K version of whatever streaming product you're looking at, yeah. because it will have a stronger CPU in it. So over the long term, with a couple of updates, it will still have plenty of horsepower to give you a really terrific experience. Part of what's frustrating for me is as I was playing around with the Motorola G6 I had, uh, which suffered an untimely early demise due to toilet. I think it was um, down to like $200 or less on yeah. Black Friday. Yeah. It was like one of the best deals for a phone. And Unlocked. They, and they have the G7 out now, which is even better. Two gigabytes of RAM is enough for an Android device, you know, if you're typically running one or two uh, right. applications. That's at the low end of what I would like. There's a really amazing Android Authority article called How Much RAM Do You Need in a Smartphone? They just updated a couple weeks ago. Part of what it does is it looks at the amount of RAM devices uh, occupy. And the, a typical app is like 130 megabytes to 400 megabytes of RAM. Okay. Uh, as you get into more video intensive, like YouTube, 230 megabytes of RAM, right? That's that's not a problem. As you get into to stuff like Chrome, uh, certain video games, certain, uh, you know, Instagram, you can start looking at like a gigabyte of, of, of memory. Um, and, uh, you know, they can get up to like, you know, 800 two gigabytes of RAM. And what happens is when you're switching between apps, it'll end up, you know, it's like having to write things to disk on a Windows system. And, Three gigabytes is a lot better than two gigabytes. Four gigabytes at this point is really the optimal uh, of what you want. Um, and there are phones with double or triple that literally now yeah. being sold up to 12 gigs now. Well, and that's that's also, I mean, that a lot of that has to do with uh, Android wars in China, which were also what big part of what was driving up RAM costs uh, in 2018, early 2019. It became like a checkbox feature. Well, we have eight gigabytes of RAM. We'll tell with you. We have 10 gigabytes. And that's ridiculous. Like six is vastly more than enough that you're going to need, even if you're running. I, I will all say though, the... on my current Android 10 phone, it has four gigabytes of RAM. I'm pretty sure, but one of the big updates coming in the next week or so will be Google redoing RAM management on the phone. Right. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if I really notice something in terms of overall feel for it. I generally don't run into many issues where I'm think, thinking the phone is not fast enough. Right. However, I've seen some folks online now doing testing where rather than just do one benchmark to compare one phone against another, they have a script of right. here are the things I'm going to run through with different apps in real world, 
real world usage scenario. And then we'll compare two devices that way. How long does it take to go through these right. 15 steps? And I kind of like that because it will reveal like, oh, what really slowed the experience down was simply switching to that other app and then waiting for an upload or something I, like that. That's what part of what I was having on that Rather G6. Saying, oh, this number got 6,000 yeah. and this benchmark got 8,000. And it's like, <laughs> ah, in the end, is that really something I'm going to experience and feel? The benchmark is a tool. The tool has to be yes. interpreted. And that, it's a much, I mean, that's also a very old school way to run benchmarks, but it makes a huge difference in, in understanding how the phone's going to perform in, in real world terms, other than raw computational power. Um, you know, and the, the truth is, is, is the vast majority of people listening to this podcast are never going to run into Android TV. Uh, but if you do, <laughs> and you there find you switching go. between apps drives you insane, uh, no small part of that is, is probably... Uh, going to be how much memory is available and again i if for anybody considering an android streaming solution mm -hmm. a stick or a box standalone consider that 4k model yeah. just for the extra cpu horsepower yeah 4k model you're gonna love it in a couple of years from now and try to get more ram <laughs> without a doubt we gave a shout out to to emotiva's uh speakers not too long ago uh and a couple of amps uh and they also at the tail end of november uh, released a ton of new products including updates to almost all of their speaker lineup two towers bookshelf model uh it's uh i was the rmc1l caught my attention yeah i bet it did <laughs> What? <laughs> Tell us, Robert, why was it so exciting? <laughs> uh, for, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this not the AV processor you could then use to drive literally a 16-channel system for things like Dolby Atmos? Yeah. If you know you're going to well and exceed what your AVR is capable of, this would be something kind of interesting to... Yeah, it's it's basically the, the less expensive version of their flagship AV processor. It's 16 channels. That's beautiful. Um, yeah, it's a, you know, a $4,000 AV processor. You want to put, you know... Those four channels in the ceiling, yeah. seven to nine around you. Nine dot one dot six discrete <laughs> Dolby Atmos DTSX reference cinema processor, assembled to order in the USA. They can ship it to you in five to seven days. Um, you know, it's the construction on the on the Emotiva stuff's been really good. Devices like those previously yeah. were crazy expensive to yes. have that many channels of modern day multi channel. 3D audio process <laughs> in a home theater. So I assume Emotiv is doing the quality I expect from them, but at a price that just won't make me, you know, <laughs> turn around and go, oh, forget that. Well, you know, at, at $4,000, a lot of people are going to turn around and, and, and go forget that. No, but that. this is like for the ultimate, yes. literally approaching. An, uh, yeah, if you're going to have you spend all, all of the channels yeah. and all of the Atmos speakers and multiple subwoofers. Um, but to, to do a good job with 16 channels, you really need something like this just to, yeah. to save the sanity. Otherwise, you're spending four grand yeah. on just an AVR that probably won't even do all 16 channels. Yeah, well, this is so. all the channels, 18 gigabit per second, uh, quote, bit-perfect video switching, switching, bit-perfect video switching. I don't think we switch video yet. Switch. Switch. Um, Dolby Atmos up to 9.1.6, DTSX up to 7.1.4, native playback of DSD audio, pure analog playback uh, in their audio file reference studio mode. Uh, I would love to play around with one of those integrating it in. Yes. Just to see what the gotchas are. The, the dot one, maybe if you wanted two subs, you'd have to figure something out, but I don't think that's even really an issue. You know, but. they've got, uh, it's not in, it's not available yet, but they're oh. going to be doing direct live automatic room correction. Uh, which is fairly sophisticated stuff. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Um, on the speaker side of things, they have the B1 Plus just came out. They did, basically they updated their bookshelf loudspeakers. That uses the same Airmotive tweeter as the, the larger units. Nice. They have a new center channel loudspeakers. They've updated the T1 and the T2 to the T1 Plus and the T2 Plus. Yeah, so uh, lots of good uh, shiny new stuff. Uh, if, if we make it to CES, we'll probably get a chance to listen to their gear. Uh, when I get to some place where I have a room, I'll actually be able to to. to I, this encourages me to go hit CDN next year. Yeah. In Los Angeles or San Diego or wherever the hell they're doing it and to make sure. Or is it back in Colorado? Uh, we'll find out. We'll but find out. Next September. Um, they have a new addition to their, their BaseX, their entry-level lineup, the A400Z multi-zone amplifier. Um, so that'll actually deliver stereo to four zones if you're looking to, to run speakers around your house. Uh, and also uh, something that made me laugh uh, in a in a cheerful way, was they have the ERC4 Differential Reference CD Player and Digital Transport. 
So, you know, if you're still rocking the CDs, and Lord knows I've got 800 in storage right now, um, I'd like to see them do a reference Blu-ray player 4K. That would be a non-trivial endeavor. No, and it's probably not a a moneymaker either, although they're making a reference CD player. A $600 reference CD player with balanced outputs. Um, So, you know. Delicious. Who knows? Maybe that's their stepping stone to, to doing a Blu-ray player. But uh, lots of good stuff from uh, lots of good stuff coming from Emotiva and uh, JDS Labs actually just updated their Element. They have the Element Two now, um, which has an update to the DAC. It's, it's their combined one with the big knob on top uh, that I like so much. So they redesigned the amp based on everything uh, they learned building the Atom amplifier and the atom amplifier at $99 is a unbelievable badass device and the, the way they laid out the PCB also makes it incredibly noise proof for example oh, my, cool. my 34 inch Dell monitor where I've had like thousand dollar powered speakers next to it that pick up noise from the monitor that $99 atom amp silence um, so they nice. used everything they learned about uh, laying out PCBs to keep them sounding clean on that Atom, and they brought that into the Element 2, and then they also did what they call the EL Amp 2 and the DAC 2. So those are their separates on that. Um, the Very Element cool. 2 headphone performance, uh, headphone amplifier performance uh, is going to be better probably than anything anyone will ever need. It could literally be the last one you buy until some future set of headphones from hell. Um, that also is the same amplifier in the EL Amp 2, and they upgraded the... Uh, the DAX in the Element and the EL DAC 2. Um, those are, you know, these are not inexpensive devices, but they are beautiful. Um, and the performance is pretty amazing. Uh, you know, you could probably look for some more DAC performance, but I don't think you can actually hear anything at this point. But JDS Labs, I mean, you know, they're building this stuff in America. They're designing it in America. You know, I know the people who work on this. They're a good crew uh, outside of St. Louis over in Illinois. This is this is pretty flawless stuff. I'm very, very curious to see if they come out with an Atom DAC to go with that $99 Atom headphone amplifier. You know, the, the headphone amplifier at $99, it's plastic. It's not as fancy. This one also, what's really sweet about this is they've got a button on the back, which is something I've been waiting for, the, the really kind of perfected version of this, where you can switch between the headphone output and RCA outputs to your amplifier and speakers on your desktop. So oh, this nice. is this is a, a absolutely perfect product for me. The specs on this are unhinged in terms of perfect switcher, especially if you go back and forth between yeah. you know desktop reference speakers versus your headphones. So props to JDS Labs for the updates on that. Uh, I should probably mention the prices on these. If I were a better man, I would have memorized. But ah. uh, <laughs> what you said, ninety nine bucks for the the original Atom. The Atom amplifier is $99. That is a phenomenal piece of engineering for the money. The Element 2, which is, you know, it is the aluminum CNC milled case with a giant knob on top with the subtle understated lighting underneath the knob, uh, that's $400. It's a pretty nice piece of kit for that. And then the EL Amp 2 is $249, and the EL DAC 2 is $299. So, very good. Not the least expensive stuff out there but some pretty phenomenal performance for what you're paying. Uh, quick Black Friday sale leftover I want to give a shout-out to. I've mentioned the Melomania earbuds from Cambridge Audio. Those are uh, uh, still on sale at $99.95. They normally sell for $130. Uh, you can also, I was kind of delighted, you can buy a replacement case or earbuds. Should you lose your earbuds or should you lose your case, it's $50 each for those. That's a pretty smoking deal for those. I got to say those really, that's the first time I've ever heard a set of wireless, ear, truly wireless earbuds. Uh, and the, the case on them is so small. I just shoved it in my pocket and I started using them constantly. Like I literally saw that and I was like, oh my God, Cambridge Audio is doing Bluetooth earbuds. You know, are they doing this because, you know, they want to appeal to the kids and it's a piece of crap. And I was absolutely delighted. These sound phenomenal. They have very, very strong bass. The microphone in them is, is it's a microphone. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Something to improve upon. Something they could definitely improve upon. But you're also. a decent charger case. And then as I drop the earbud and it flies across the room. A decent (laughs) charger case. You're looking at like nine hours on the earbuds themselves. And then. Uh, I want to say another like 36 hours total cool. with the case. And the case is takes up less space than my keys in my pocket. So, that's um, awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. heading for something like that soon. 100 bucks. It's a fantastic deal. That's up at cambridgeaudio.com. You saw an absolute beast of a monitor from Asus. Yeah, they have a brand new or an updated line of monitors and other gear too as part of the Pro Art series. And if you just search Asus ProArt, 
at the very top of the monitor page anyway is something called the PA32 UCG. Now I believe there's also a UCA that's already out, but the new UCG coming out hopefully sometime later this year or early 2020, this will be a 32 inch 4K 120 hertz panel rated for the Visa spec at 1400 nits, Whoa. 1600 peak. Uh, apparently DCI-P3 color courtesy of quantum dot technology, maybe even greater than 100%. Really? The thing that jumped out to me was the fact that it has literally over 1,100 zones of local dimming. Damn. And I have not seen a price on this yet. If I didn't mention, yeah, it's a 120 hertz display. Sure, maybe as a gamer, I would like something that could at least hit 144 or faster, but 120 hertz, even in a desktop environment, is such a nice step up from your traditional 60 hertz displays in terms of just the fluidity of moving a window around to, if you are gaming, you get that nice fluid motion that, granted, it's hard to drive at 4K, but hell, <laughs> scaling it down, all the better. I had seen at Cedia a couple years ago AUO, a display manufacturer, showing off a 4K panel with 144 hertz uh, refresh rate, HDR 1000, uh, basically claiming a peak brightness of 1000 nits, G-Sync compatibility, quantum dot. I had seen this spec and the demo panel, and I had been thinking about it ever since, and I haven't seen any other manufacturer come up with anything approaching this level of performance yet until this Asus ProArt monitor. Now, granted, this is really for colorists or people working with HDR content. The display is going to have Dolby Vision HDR10 HLG compatibility. It will come factory calibrated to apparently a very good spec in terms of minimizing the error in things like grayscale and color performance. No idea what it's going to cost, but it is a sign of one of these new incredibly granular as far as local dimming capabilities go brightness uh well exceeding anything else currently out there in a desktop monitor mm-hmm. uh for probably anything close to what this price point is going to be having that dci p3 color space which windows 10 is now compatible with it this could be one of the very finest pieces of eye candy out there or if you're a professional doing you know editing or color work this sounds like a display I would definitely be keeping my eye on. The 4K resolution might be more than you need, but at this point, I think everything's just going 4K, no matter what the screen size is, although this happens to be at uh, 32 inches. I also saw a 27-inch version. That is a monitor where if I had to point at something as the, visually speaking, highest performance monitor I've seen to date, that is it. And that PA32 UCG is on my short list of I really just want to know how much it is. I'm I'm gonna guess twenty five hundred bucks, but hopefully it's hopefully that's list. I would not be surprised by that. And it's way less. I have not seen anything else claiming this level of performance yet out of a desktop PC style monitor. So we'll see. <laughs> we wait with bated breath. Damn, I would love a display that had a thousand nits sustained, or in this case fourteen hundred sustained, right? Sixteen hundred peak. With the wide color palette, it's just like a dream display for desktop work, but hand gaming. <laughs> hand gaming. But still, that's uh, at least at least somebody is throwing down with a something well above average in terms of what came before for a, a PC display. Be you a graphics professional or just somebody itching to have the brightest, most colorful thing out there? So much color. Yeah. So much brightness. L- looking forward to it. Jeff emailed to ask at avxl.com with a question about a home theater in a box. Yay. Yay. He says, enjoy the show. It's fun to listen to. Thank you, Jeff. He's looking to buy a home theater in a box and wondered what you might recommend. He's looking to spend 500 to 1000 Top runner is the Onkyo HT-S7800, selling for 600 at B&H. But there's been a number of negative Amazon reviews on the reliability of several components. He's also looking at the Polk Audio Blackstone TL1600 speakers box with a Denon AVR S50. 540BT is a combo package for 500 or the Yamaha YHT4950U429, also available at Best Buy. What are your thoughts on these or another home theater in a box or maybe a system put together from separate components? The system goes in the unusually shaped living room with a vaulted ceiling. Man. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a huge fan of home theater in a box kits. I, I just generally, it's always the speakers. Yeah. 
It's and like that's plenty of budget, at least for a good entry level 4K AVR. Yeah. And then I personally would just be more inclined to pick and choose my favorite speakers, even if I had to buy them a pair at a time. Yeah. And, and just I, build up to it. I'm I'm with you on this one. You know, Polk makes some good speakers, and the TL1600s probably aren't bad. But one of the things that happens... Um, it's like I'd like to take an Onkyo receiver and pair it with sure. uh, Emotiva. Yeah. Or, you know, well, build let's, up. Let's kind of <laughs> walk through this step by step, right? When you, when you look at those Polk audios, and this is kind of typical of all home theater in a box, you tend to have very, very small speakers, left, center, right, and surrounds. They all tend to be very, very small. It means they move minimal amounts of air. Right. You don't need to move a huge amount of air because you have a subwoofer. But the challenge there is something I really started to think about as I first bought the Elax Unify and then did the full debut 2.0 surround sound system is it's amazing the difference of the impact, especially if you watch a lot of action movies. Like if, if I'm watching the BBC you know, version of Pride and Prejudice, I'm not really looking for a lot of impact. Occasionally, a horse runs across right. the stream. You know what I mean? Um, but if you're... If clarity you're, and detail. Clarity and detail and you can are get that there. out of just about any speaker. Exactly. Uh, but I look at the Polk Audio thing, and those may sound great, but one of the challenges with that is all of the connectivity for all the speakers, all of the wiring is done through the subwoofer. So if the subwoofer fails, you then lose not just your subwoofer, but you lose your amplifier for all the speakers. Based on personal experience, I just don't recommend that anymore. Now... In his case, he said the Blackstone TL1600s he's looking at are bundled with a Denon AVR. I'm a little happier about that, right? And for $500, that's cheap. Um, yeah. You know, the truth is, is if you want cheap, I would go for a surround sound with a couple of discrete, or excuse me, a, a sound bar with a couple of discrete satellites and then eventually upgrade. Part of what I'm trying to say, and I think what Robert was saying, is it's all about the speakers. And all of these speakers, almost every home theater box, the speakers you get are going to be cheap, right? A uh, good AVR, a good entry-level 5.1 AVR with 4K support from Denon or AVR, excuse me, from Denon or Onkyo is like 330 bucks right now. The wire cutter has some picks. You can find them on Amazon. You can find them in Best Buy. 2019 gear. Yeah, and uh, like Robert said, I'd rather you bought some excellent speakers. Wirecutter loves Polk's Signature Series uh, S15. They started $165 a pair for the left and right. My favorite uh, $300 pair, Elax Debut 2.06.2. That's their upgrade. That's $300 a pair. I would rather you spent $600 on a set of stereo speakers and a discrete AVR, like a really good set of speakers. Or even a soundbar with a wireless sub. Yes. Yeah. Skip the AVR if the budget really. Yeah. It's like, I'd rather you not. I'd rather you spent $300 on a soundbar you know, with a subwoofer. And you don't even have to do that. Yeah. Vizio um, makes some terrific stuff mm -hmm. for entry level. And if you want to step it up, sure, you can get into, you yeah. know, Sonos and others. It's but. it's kind of frightening. You walk into Best Buy uh, or, or better yet, I love the demos at Costco right now. They're in their unhinged Black Friday to Christmas kind of phase where there's 29,000 televisions at the front of Costco. Oh, you have always. a Costco membership. Well, they've got like six or seven, like the one I went into the other day to to grab the three pounds of blueberries to keep my children alive. Um, th there was like a row of sound bars that with the demos. Now, these are demos and they're tuned and they're tweaked and they're, you know, you're sitting four feet from them. So it's a completely unrealistic experience. Totally. But it's shocking how good sound bars have gotten for how little money. That said... I would rather you had, you know, a nice Denon or Arkeo AVR and spent $300 on a pair of speakers and another three or $400 on a subwoofer and then added your surround sound and center channels later if that's a possibility. Or for now, just buy a set of stereo speakers, you know, and the AVR and just listen with those. You know, just pick a good center channel and the left, right. Yeah. And a sub. And you just know. stop there and add in the surround channels mm -hmm. to however far you want to take it down the road. And I'll say outside of the really big, super heavy, low end, you know, crashes, thuds, mayhem for action flicks, you can probably get away without a sub for a while. I hate tiny speakers, man. I know, but but in if you've end. got something like the Elax debut with a right. with a six inch woofer, you're getting pretty Fantastic. much everything you need down to like 45, 50 hertz, Having which is flashbacks to the tiny cube speakers where I'm not talking about tiny cubes no. here. No. But, uh, that, that I want to avoid. Yes. And I've used home theater in a box kits for a good long time and they can be okay. Yes. It's just in the end. I always want to just end up replacing everything with, you know, speakers yeah. I, I have listened to it and I feel better about recommending because I know there's performance there to be had. Yeah. 
if you're committed to the home theater in the box, get one of the discrete AVR that supports 4K. That would be cool. Uh, so you can upgrade the speakers. Uh, better yet, you know, I would start with a, a minimal set of stereo or three front, better yet, three front channels and then get a subwoofer and surround speakers as your budget offers yep. it. Um, just a thought there. My solution. Uh, yeah. Uh, Wirecutter's uh, a review on home theater speakers. They talk about Polk Signature Series, the S15. Definitely look at uh, look at that and definitely consider Elac's debut series. Let me say it again. It's crazy what you get for $330 for an AVR. Um, you know, from Yamaha or Onkyo or Denon. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's terrific I mean, 7.2 Dolby Atmos DTX decoding, um, HDR pass through HDMI 2.1 in or 2.0 inputs on that one. It's not expensive. You know, if you want to spend $600, you get a lot more, but I'd rather you put the money into the speakers now because as soon as we get all settled in on Dolby DTS, and uh, Atmos, uh, you know, assuming you do Atmos speakers, and I think Atmos speakers are something to do after, you know, you get nice speakers for everything else. Totally. But uh, yeah, I, I'll be honest with you, 90% of what I want, I am getting out of 5.1 speakers and a subwoofer. Or I used to say, you know, five surround sound channels and a subwoofer, um, you know. And, those... and if they're large enough speakers, I mean, I'm not talking they don't have to be gigantic, but right. if they're not cubes and they're not, you know, little mini bookshelves, I guarantee you it's just going to sound better. Yeah. Especially if you have the room for them. Yeah. And you've got adequate spacing around the listening environment for the speakers. It just, the moving whole air yeah. thing sounds better. If they're <laughs> tiny speakers, you want a badass subwoofer. Uh, if they're bigger speakers, you still want a badass subwoofer, but not nearly as. And at much. the same point, if the budget doesn't call for it, soundbar all the way. It's just, it is such an improvement over what's built into any TV mm -hmm. nowadays. And you won't be looking at like, $600 being, I could have, I was almost just a little bit I'm more. dealing with a pretty modest soundbar in the 4K TV I'm using right now. And every time the link between the soundbar and the TV like switches back to the TV speakers. <laughs> yeah. It, it is like, what is wrong? What is going? Oh, my audio is so tinny and yeah. emotionless. <laughs> Horrible. Horrible. Speakers. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I like those, those 6.2 Elacs sound great. Uh, they sound better with a subwoofer reinforcing the low end. That's just, it is what it is. Rather than put my headphones on at my workstation, I'll just leave the headphones hanging next to me and I'll just turn the volume up enough just so I can hear that that little <laughs> tinny noise coming out, just so I know what the sound is. That, that's kind of what I think of when I, I deal with smaller speakers in a home right. theater environment. And otherwise, yeah, sound bar it up. Start there. You can always move that sound bar to the TV in the bedroom later or yeah. wherever. Oh my Give it goodness. to the kids for the game console. <laughs> John's got a question about matching wattage to speakers. He emailed askadavxl.com. I heard a rumor you two were doing shows again and was hoping you could help me out. We're here for you, John. He's, Heck yeah. in, he's in the process of updating his home theater speakers, 20-year-old JBLs and a 5.1 config to either SVS or ELAC speakers. There are other contenders as well, I guess. When I was looking at the specs, I noticed each speaker has a different wattage rating. For example, the SVS tower is rated for 20 to 300 watts. The center is 20 to 200. The bookshelf for 20 to 150 when looking at the receivers and amps, all the channels are rated at a particular wattage, say 275 watts with three channels driven. So my question is, do I just accept that using the amp to power the left center right channels would possibly go above the max rating of the center channel? I guess ultimately I'm wondering how close do you have to get and how far over is too far over? Or does it even not even matter because the center and surround town channels will never get close to having the max watts sent their way? Thanks for the help. Love the show. And I'm so glad it's back, John. Well, we're glad to be nice. back, John. There's a, a fascinating character called Nelson Pass, and he designs amplifiers, and he's mostly known for designing uh, Class A amplifiers. Class A amplifiers are where the amplifier is consuming 100% of the power all of the time, and the idea is that you have this, this sort of better transitioning you know, on dynamics. He started a whole company called First Watt for some of his... I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Basically, he had amps he wanted to build, but it wasn't sort of justified to do these products these, under his primary Some of those designs labs. reposted the designs for it, and yes. you could just simply build it. Yes, and they, they start out as, first he sells them at first watt, and then he opens the kits up. And of course, some of those, a bunch of those kits, the parts of those available at uh, DIY Audio's store. If speaker prices are just blowing you away right. for what you're thinking about, consider building something if you have like a small workshop at home. Yeah. It, it is shockingly doable with material starting at like 30 bucks a speaker. Yeah. And you can get great sound. And if you 
take a known design and go with it, you, mm-hmm. you can end up with great gear. And don't ever be afraid to try it, especially if you have a little bit of, you know, handy person in you and the and basic sets of tools to yeah. get it done so you're not struggling or just, you know, making a mess of things. But it's something to truly consider if you can. I bring this up, right, because the whole idea of first watt, he's got this quote there from a uh, gentleman named Dick Olsher. And Dick Olsher said the first watt is the most important watt. Because if it doesn't sound good at low volumes, it's not going to sound good at high volumes. The The whole first watt concept, he calls it a kitchen table effort uh, where he's looking at low power amplifiers, like, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 watts. And he wanted to play around with a bunch of amplifier designs, all 25 watts or less. So when you look at wattage, you, you're like, oh, a speaker's rated to 250 watts. I need a big, massive amplifier. And if you take a, a modestly sensitive speaker, let's say 86 dB, right? So that, that means uh, with one watt at one meter, the level is going to be 86 dB, which is fairly loud, right? Now, if you take a 10 watts of amplification and you're sitting 10 feet from it and you have like three speakers, right? You know, left, right, center channel. Okay. They're within two or four feet of the wall. Um, you end up with 94 decibels at your your listening position. If we quadruple that to 40 watts, you're looking at 100 dB at your listening position. So you are officially going to be damaging your, your hearing long before that YouTube video is over, much less an actual 90-minute feature uh, cinema. It will be probably uncomfortably loud. So companies uh, like SVS that yeah. basically they give this range and they all, all three of these speakers start at 20 watts. And yeah. I assume you definitely, you don't want to drive any speaker at near the minimum. Well, the thing you is though, is, is as you, point. you got to remember like when you look at it, when you look at a volume knob, right? What you're looking at when it shows up, you know, you, it, oh, stereos yeah. used to have volume knobs and they went from like zero to 10. Right. Or right. 11, if you're a fan of a certain movie, I won't name. Um, but those were amplifiers for musical instruments. But I digress. Um, but when you look at when you look at the volume knob on an AVR and you have your your LED screen on the front, it's telling you decibels of attenuation and you're working from like maybe negative 66 up to zero. Yep. Uh or plus ten. Or plus ten, yeah. At which point plus you're you're, you're loud. Yeah. Your earbuds are meeting in the center of your skull. But at plus reference 10. level audio is zero on that meter and yeah. that it's probably is, too painful to listen to at that point it can be certainly for me but I, i'm bringing Unless all this up well right? audio. when you turn the volume down to zero you're essentially or, or as far down as it goes i think like on on my last onkyo that was like negative 66 db let's say you know somewhere between negative 66 and 50 something there was no audio coming out of the right. speakers right but as you're turning the volume knob up, you're upgrading... Gaining the... Yeah, you're turning up the, the amount of electricity flowing through the system, and essentially you are... And somebody who does physics is going to mock me for, for just miscategorizing this. But essentially, you are going from like, you know, no watts to one watt to 10 watts to whatever the amplifier is rated for. So but, something like total harmonic distortion or some sort of noise value then would be a better thing to pay more attention to well, the problem than the is, absolute is, wattage that a particular amp is going to spit out? Well, there's there's three problems with that. The first problem is that the a lot of the calculations on this are... Um, market ee right uh the so the thd plus n may be for a 1k a perfect pure sine 1k signal and at one particular frequency and not from the range of audio that's going to come out of the amplifier so they can also be at relatively ridiculous levels uh they can also be um just flat out useless like oh this is a 100 watt amplifier with 12 percent you know, THD plus N, which basically means it's not a 100 watt amplifier. It's probably like a 60 watt amplifier, but they can turn it up really loud and they can put a bigger number on the box. And the numbers on the boxes generally kind of suck, which is why Audioholics and Audio Science Review and a whole bunch of other websites are great because they actually test what comes out of the box. The other problem is, especially with low end AVRs, is they often don't have the power to light up all of the channels simultaneously, which again, you don't need 100 watts from several channels simultaneously unless you're mostly deaf and trying to be completely deaf. But what is a challenge is that in many cases, if you have demanding speakers and you have multiple speakers uh, and you turn things up, there will be issues where things will start to clip You know, when the car crash hits or when the bomb drops or when the gun's going off when you're standing right next to right. whatever superhero or action hero is. Yeah, you're... you're so you shouldn't like... In my mind, I would say, okay, I've got speakers that are 300 watt rated max, 200 yeah. watt, 150, 650 watts total. Right. I shouldn't be just shopping straight up for something that's 
700 no. plus watts of output thinking no, I'm going to absolutely need that. It's kind of messy, right? Because a 100 watt amp from company A may be a completely different beast from company B. Like one of the reasons I mentioned that, that $200 amp from Emotiva a few weeks ago was that it has enough power to drive fairly, or it's 50 watt per channel. It has enough power to drive fairly demanding speakers. And that's where things get challenging. As the, the sensitivity of the speaker drops down, the more important the power coming out of the amp is. Like you always want right. clean power coming out of the amp. But your $25 Class D amplifier, you know, with a wall wart that you bought off Amazon that shipped straight from China. It might start getting sketchy halfway up. It might start getting or sketchy a third that. of the way up. But yeah. some of those, I mean, some of those, if you if you keep them in that first third of the volume knob, sound amazing, right. especially for 20 bucks. There's other amplifiers where if you have a very demanding set of speakers, they're going to start sounding like crap immediately. What you want is an amplifier that can handle a 4-ohm load. What you want is an amplifier, like, you know, for me, I want to say I want 100 watts per channel on my AVR. Even if you're using 8-ohm speakers, it's good to yes. have something that is if, rated to If it'll to at drive 4-ohms, that. that means it can support the power to drive 4-ohms, which means it's going to have zero problems with your 8-ohm speakers. Right. Um, what the challenge is, is we're seeing a lot of home theater speakers that are rated at 6-ohms, and depending on what what frequency you're looking at that may dip down into four ohms or lower. Um, I am not particularly good at explaining all of this without tripping over my own feet, but I'll just say the rating on the speakers, I would worry about sensitivity a lot more than I would worry about um, the wattage rating. Got it. Because the reality is, is as you, if you turn the volume down, so you don't wake up your spouse or your children at two in the morning when you just absolutely have to watch Captain Marvel, um, you know, you're probably going to be working with you know, two, three, four, five, 10, 15 watts max. And then, you know, when you, when you're rocking out to Captain Marvel at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, when nobody's around, then you're going to be using the high end of the amplifier. But the reality is if your speakers are really sensitive, for example, the speakers I bought to use with my home built, uh, you know, five watt amplifiers as those, uh, DIY audio, the, the amp camp amps, you know, I ended up going from, you know, heresies that were like 92, 93, 95. Very efficient speaker. Efficient to, um, oh goodness, I can see them and I can't think of the name of the company. Um, It's not your mini lures. Yeah, those are exactly the ones I'm thinking of. Uh, You know, now whether or not... I mean, still an efficient speaker, but not not in the high, mid to high 90s. No, those are. Those Tekton mini lures, they're rated at, ooh, wow, they're down to 575 a pair right now. That's a fantastic speaker. They rate them at 95 dB at one watt at one meter. Some people say that that may be a little high, but the reality is, is, you know, if you have one watt going into that speaker, it's going to hurl 95 decibels when you're right in front of it. Now, that level gets attenuated as you move from like with your face pressed to the speakers to sitting down on a couch 10 feet away, but it's not going to be... Inverse square law, baby. Oh my goodness. It's not going to drop <laughs> as much as you may think it will. So this is a really long-winded way of saying, you know, the less sensitive a speaker is, the more power you need to hit a given volume. The farther away from your speakers you're sitting, the more power you're going to need to hit a volume. But basically, they put those ratings on the speakers so you don't put a thousand watt amplifier on a, your two hundred watt rated speakers and then you know melt the voice coils. I have actually when or I, in my college versa, days, yeah, not, don't use like a ten watt, yeah, cheapest amp you can find, expecting the world, yeah, or full range performance out of yeah, you know, like those those Elac really unifies the UB twos. You know, I, I need a fifty watt amplifier with those because if you're going to listen listen to them at anything above a minimal like. If you need power to drive them because they are not very efficient. Right. Right. Um, you know, those Tekton mini lures, they are incredibly efficient. You don't need as much power. But what you don't want to do, you know, is what I did in college with a set of Ohm 2Es I bought used uh, from someone who is selling them outside of their apartment where I hooked up a cheap non-brand Chinese built amplifier back when you know, Chinese built amplifiers were terrifying. I literally lit one of the woofers on fire. The power, there was so much power and the distortion was so great. It basically seized the woofer and lift the woofer cone on fire, which wouldn't have been nearly as exciting if I hadn't Excellent. had them on bookshelves surrounded by paperbacks. There you go. Uh, at which point I had to grab the speaker, rip the cables out of the back and run to the bathroom uh, to put them in the shower before they lit my dormitory on I fire. I actually purchased a Halon fire extinguisher. Or it's not <laughs> Halon anymore. It's like Halotron or something. Yeah. It's called, it's some safe version yeah but specifically in yeah. case i ever run into like i need to put a fire out and there's a ton of expensive electronics here and i don't want to put a caustic powder everywhere <laughs> and it will go everywhere oh it's so, an expensive fire extinguisher but 
man, that gives me a little peace of mind just in case so generally, everything goes wrong. Yeah, I mean, John, don't go over, and that's not going to be an issue with, with, you know, unless you're buying, like, you know, car stereo amplifiers and bringing them into your house. Don't go over the wattage rating for the speaker. No. Buy a clean quality amplifier over an amplifier with a higher power rating. And, you know, again, all of these numbers are fudged for marketing purposes, you know, but if an amplifier says it's 100 watts with THD plus N of like, um, you know, 10 dB, that's a crappy amp. You want like, right. you know, 2 dB or lower, give or take. Um, that sounds like optimal advice, man. Yeah. It's like, look, you, yeah, you don't don't shoot for the bottom end of their ratings. But at the same point, take, yeah. the, take the high end with a grain of salt and don't go crazy trying to. Yeah. Try to, try to make sure the speakers, out. I mean, try to make sure the speakers are roughly the same level. If you start mixing brands and stuff. That's um, where it can get tough. But that's also why AVR is going to adjust dB levels per channel, which also helps you make up for the fact if for some reason, like you have a weird room that's layout and your right channel is 15 feet to the right of the, the television when your left channel is three feet to the right of the television. the smaller speakers make that even harder to deal yeah. with. They can't move the air you need them to, so. Yeah. Harping on those cubes, but yeah. tiny you know, speakers sometimes just are not the answer. You know, get a decent 50-watt, 100-watt per channel amplifier. Yeah. You're never going to use, like, it's, you're, you're, the only way you're going to hit, like, 275 watts per channel on three channels is if you're, if you're trying to, to, you know, you're, you're competing. Like, remember speaker competitions where they had to, like, put steel braces over a one-inch thick windshield to keep the windshield from blowing right. out of the car when they turn the speakers up? That's when that kind of wattage yeah. matters. Like, 200, like, well, where's my, where's my wattage calculator? Where did it go? Where it's all it go? good. Well, it's I'm more of think about down the road what right. like, what what it is you really want to end up with, and if it's going to be something where it is going to be like eleven plus speakers yeah. for a three D audio system, in addition to you know movie night or gaming night or whatever. Yeah, just make sure at least you have upgrade options where maybe you will hold off on going with a crazy amp, or you'll go something like with Emotiva's sixteen channel processor down the road yeah. and realizing what the end goal is going to be and then making sure whatever decisions you make at this point aren't going to hamstring you. Maybe you're going to pre-wire some stuff that you're not mm -hmm. going to use for a little while. Maybe you're only going to start with two channels and then work up from there, but whatever that plan is. Yeah. There's there's a lot of... All about quality over just the stupid numbers game sometimes. When you talk to audiologists, right, they're, they're telling you a lot of the current specs, which is, okay, you can listen to like 85 dB for eight hours, right? A lot of, a lot of them think you should be listening for less time and at a lower volume. But once you get into like 100 dB, you know, you can listen to 100 dB for 15 minutes before permanent hearing damage starts. When you get up to 103 decibels, you're talking like less than 10 No, minutes. for sustained listening. But there are yeah. sequences in like movies where you have an explosion yeah. or just the dynamic range is incredible where you right. you you want to be able to hear the crickets chirping in a yes. quiet morning scene before the, the explosion rocket falls out of the sky explodes yeah. or whatever. And it's like those experiences are so awesome when yes. they're done right. I agree. And you don't want the amplifier to clip. You want it to have enough yes. headroom. But you know, I'm looking but at that's this a, that's a that's a dedicated listening yeah. environment scenario that might not be your day to day. Yeah. And when the friends and family are over and everyone's just milling around, you might just need to have it listenable. Yes. Without it, without it, you know. I'm you not don't arguing need the that, full... but but ten watts at ten feet with three speakers. If the speakers are within two or four feet of the wall, you're looking at, you know, ninety four dB at the listening position. Yep. Right. Now, if I take that to fifty watts. And my little magic calculator here. I always get nervous turning any device up to its limits to get the right, sound level you're looking watts for. 50 watts doesn't sound like much. That's 50% on, on a 100-watt on a amplifier. You're looking at 101.1 dB. Now, so if I take to that to 100 watts... Good um, jump scares out of that. 104 dB. And remember, right, wattage does not... It's not a one-to-one -one no. ratio. If I go to 200 watts per channel, which you're probably not going to do without spending a lot of money, that's 107 dB. So going from 100 watts to 200 watts, I'm only getting another 3 dB. But again, I am into permanent hearing damage in minutes mode. So don't go to a Who concert without earplugs in the 70s. Yes. <laughs> That's where all the ear, ear damage is really done. It's it's music listening. Yeah. Especially for <laughs> Generally not the movies. Oh, my goodness. With that, ladies and gentlemen, do us a favor. Send us your email. Email us your questions to ask at avxl.com. 
because actually we love talking about this stuff. Uh, yeah. If you want to make fun of my low-rent, high-speed interpretation of uh, power and wattage, again, ask at avxl.com. If you've got a question for us about speakers or screens or projectors or televisions or any of that good stuff, we're here for you. Headphones, ask at avxl.com. And uh, do us a favor, if you haven't already subscribed, search for AVXL on your favorite podcaster or go to avxl.com for all of the links. Yep. And to our patrons, we thank you. We thank you. We hope to have four episodes out this month. And, uh, you know, we'll be starting with four episodes a month again in January. And that's patreon.com slash AVXL. Heck yeah. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. <laughs>